Okay, so you may have seen symbols of the gospel writers in the past with Mark as a lion and Matthew and uh, Luke. Uh, Luke is an ox and Matthew is a man. And you've seen an eagle. And the eagle is the symbol of John. Now, why is it that John is the eagle? Well, the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are considered synoptic gospels, meaning they are more about the life and account of Jesus. Um, they're very similar in their writing style, and they were written first. According to church tradition, the order of the writings of gospels were Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. That's the tradition of the order they were written. Now, some have argued Mark in priority, that Mark came first, <clears throat> I was actually taught that in seminary, but I stick with Augustine, and we've been this year, remember, each year the church does a different cycle of readings, all right? The gospels change between year one and year two, and then we have a cycle in the calendar of the year called A, B, and C for Sundays, but gospels one or year one and two for weekdays, okay. <laughs> that all being said, why is John an eagle? Because it is said that he soars above all the others into a much deeper spiritual meaning. And so today we read from the Gospel of John something very powerful that people have written to me. And again, I was very surprised, but if it's opening the door to non-Christians through our postings on our live streams, praise be to God. But the letters are like, nowhere does Jesus say he's God, he's not God. He says he doesn't know the hour, the time, or the day that the Father knows that the world of the end of the world will come. He's not God. He says, why do you call me God? Only God is good. So people point out all these examples, but here we have it right here that he says, I am the Son of God. So what's going on here? All right, so let's look. The Jews... You know, to them, to the Jews, Jesus' statement that he and the Father are one is blasphemy. And because throughout John, that's the theme. The Father and I are one. He who's in the Father is in the Son. The Father knows the Son. Only the Son knows the Father, and only the Father knows the Son. We are one. And this is what the Jews were angry about. This was blasphemy because he was making himself equal to God. Now the Jews expected the Messiah not to be God. This is a misconception. As I was a kid growing up in high school, I thought the Jews believed the Messiah was God. The Messiah was this conquering hero who was to come and liberate the Jews from Rome as a conquering hero, soldier on a horseback, drawn a sword, it's not how Jesus came the first time. He came in poverty, ragged clothes, poor, not a military man. But how is Jesus going to come the second time? He will come as that conquering hero on horseback, on the clouds. But first, he had to put sin underneath and break our chains. Now, so the Jews expected this conquering hero, not a Messiah who shared in the divinity of God. 
They did not expect the Messiah to be divine in that sense, that he was sheer the divinity of God. So many were scandalized when Jesus said, I am the son of God. You want to know where Jesus says that? We're, right now we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 31 to 42. So if people challenge you, non-Christians, now not just non-Catholics, non-Christians, Jesus wasn't God. He never says it in the Gospels. Yes, he did. So Leviticus 24 says that he who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death by stoning. Now notice how this passage opens up. The Jews picked up rocks to stone Jesus. Now, if you just started reading that without knowing what happened before, you're going to be like, gee, what's going on here? The opening line, the Jews picked up stones or rocks to stone Jesus. That's because Leviticus 24 said, if you blaspheme the name of the Lord, you should be put to death by stoning. So they were trying to stone Jesus here. This is an incredible scene that's going on right now. Hopefully you caught that as it was read. Now they are standing there basically with stones in their hands ready to kill Jesus. Now he told them that he had spent his whole life doing good works. Now, especially his public ministry at least. And he's been doing good. Healing the sick. Feeding the hungry. For which of these deeds... And, and, and these were all helpful. These were all beautiful. These were obviously deeds that came from God. But basically, Jesus said, for which of these do you want to kill me? It's kind of like the church. Remember, the bride will resemble her groom. Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. And the church will resemble Jesus do you know that no institution in the history of the world has fed more people, educated more people, have given more people hope than the Catholic Church? I do whole talks on the history of the Catholic Church and, 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 and how it took care of people, for instance, during the plague, when people were dying by the hundreds of thousands, yet it was the priests and the nuns they were out risking their life treating these people. Today, no institution, even currently today in the world, educates or feeds or treats or gives health care to more people than the Catholic Church. Yet how many people want to kill her? And this is what Jesus is saying. For which of these good deeds do you want to get rid of me? So their answer was interesting. No, 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 no. It's not because of these good things. We don't care about that. It's because of the claim you're making. And we can see the same in the church because the church claims the authority of Christ in telling us how to live our life. And society hates that. So the church has the authority in Christ's name to say this is what you need to do and this is what you should not do. If you want everlasting life, it's not to be a burden to you. It's to get you to heaven. That is the goal of the church. So now Jesus defends his claim in a way that they could finally understand. They're saying, what are you claiming here, Mr. Jesus? And he's, he brings in what they could understand, the law. 
So you read it here. He says, which part of the law? It is, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods, quote. It calls them gods to whom the word of God came. Small g, God. So it's calling the people gods with a small g to whom the word of the real God, big G, came. Now, he cites Psalm 82. The text that uses the word God with a small g of those who have authority but are not God with a big G, the God. All right, so in that Psalm, Israel's rulers and judges are called gods. Now, there's actually a book in the Bible called Judges. That's who these people were. They were gods with a small g, authority on earth. So they were given this authority because they had, they, they were, I should say, they had the authority to make decisions about people on God's behalf. Hmm, interesting. They even had to be fair to the people the way God was fair. So they had to treat the people the way God would, fairly. So they were called gods with a small g because God had chosen them to do his work on earth. They were in his place. This is what the church is. The difference is Jesus himself now is saying, I've come to bridge that gap from the old law. I'm going to fulfill it, so I am he, now capital G, and then I'm going to leave my church in my place when I ascend to the Father. This is how we got to where we are. Now, it gets interesting. So Jesus is now here doing the work of God, capital G, but Jesus is much greater than those small g gods of the judges and the rulers that he's fulfilling. He even says he was God's own son. And God himself had sent him to earth and he and the father are one. So he is God. Well, he never said it. Jesus never said it. Yes, he did. It's right here. John chapter 10. Basically what Jesus is saying is if God gives these unjust judges the title of gods with a small g because of their office on earth, why do you consider it blasphemy that I call myself the son of God in light of the testimony of me, Jesus, and my works? Now notice Jesus points to his works. This is powerful because when Protestants deny the power of works, next to Father call nobody, or excuse me, call nobody Father on earth, you've heard me say this before, which is by far the number one vile emails that I get. <laughs> Besides that one, I get many others, and the one that's interesting is about youth Catholics think your works are gonna get you to heaven. They do not, exclamation point. And I always say nicely as best I can to the people, by what authority do you say they don't? Whose authority do you speak? By whose authority do you speak? 
because the authority by which the priest speaks is not his own authority. It's the authority that the church was given by Christ. That's why from me and the Marian fathers, you will only hear church teaching. Now, we can use Jesus' own argument here. So when non-Catholics and Protestants say, it's not about works, works have nothing to do with it, we can look at Jesus' own words. He's saying that deeds are more powerful than works. How do we know? He says it. He says it right here. He says here, he says, if I do not perform my father's works, do not believe me. But if I perform my father's works, even if you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may realize and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. So basically it's Jesus saying, don't believe anything, but at least believe the works. So he's elevating works above words. God bless our non-Catholic brethren, but they think it's all words. All you have to do is profess Jesus. That's the start, but it's not the finish. We have to take it beyond the profession and take it into the doing. That's why mercy is a special kind of love. Love can be professed. I love you. But not till that love of I love you is put into action does it reach the highest level. And that's what mercy is. Mercy is putting that love into action. I can tell you all day long I love you until I show you. That's another story. If I say I love you all day long, but you call me at two o'clock in the morning and you're stranded in a bad neighborhood and you're fearing that, that, that you're gonna be harmed. And I say, well, you know what? Sorry, I'm really tired right now, but I love you and I'll pray for you. Good night, I wish you well. You'd be like, if you were the person on the end of the line, you're gonna be like, what? I thought you loved me. If you loved me, you'd come get me despite the circumstances. And so Jesus is saying deeds are always more powerful than words. The parable of the sheep and goats. At the end, Jesus will separate, the king will separate the sheep from the goats. And to the goats on the right, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was hungry, you gave me food, thirsty drink, clothe, uh, naked clothing, in prison, you visited me. And to the goats, he'll say, you didn't do these things. Away with you into the eternal fire. Does that sound like these good works are not important? No, the works in of themselves are not what get us to heaven. It's the love by which we do the works because when we do those works, it shows our love. It's important. All right. Words may convince the mind, but works of love move the will to action. This is what we have to know. Jesus still continues to do the works of the Father. Well, how is Jesus doing any works today? He left. He ascended to the Father. So it is all about words, Father Chris, because that's all we have from Jesus. Now the word in the gospel. So, Father Chris, you Catholics are so off base. All you need is the word of the gospel. Jesus has ascended to the Father. It's not about works because it's, he left a word. Aha. Jesus left good works. They're called the sacraments. That's why we are Catholic, especially in confession and communion. 
The sacraments do something. They're not just symbols. They're actual grace. Grace. This is beautiful because the words of the sacraments, when I speak the words in confession, I absolve you, then the actual work of God begins. So the words are the precursor to the acts of love. Yes, Jesus, I profess myself as your personal Lord and Savior. Great, that's the start, but you've got to finish it. You've got to put that love into action by loving him and loving your neighbor. How do we love God? By worshiping him. That's what you're doing right now. By loving your neighbor, by being there, by being charitable. This is powerful. So this is how God's message comes to us through this simple passage. We see in this divine mercy. Because divine mercy is truly God's love put into action. It isn't Jesus just saying, I love you, wish you well. (laughs) Divine mercy is important, not just because it's love and compassion, but because it's love and compassion put into action. That is why John Paul II said, mercy is love's second name. Love is the highest of all virtues, but the highest of those modes of love is mercy. Mercy is a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it takes action to do something about it. It doesn't just sit by. It's love in action. It's love's second name. This is why our apostolate work at the Marian Fathers is so important. We put our love for God into action. That is why we tirelessly work trying to educate and bring the word of God to you. Making now recently our videos before the pandemic, it was here on the hill by greeting our pilgrims, giving you talks and tours and blessings and confessions and masses, and we still do that. But now we've added to this ministry the videos and the education and the Saturday talks and the nights of prayer and the first Fridays and the first Saturdays and the chaplets and the rosaries. God bless you for tuning in because you guys tuning in, part of our Marian family, allows us to continue this. It shows our superiors that we got to pour all our resources into this new way to evangelize. If you guys hadn't been tuning in, we wouldn't be doing this. Because we would figure God's going to put us in another direction. We don't know this is not the right one. Well, we've been shown by God this is the right one. This is powerful. So thank you for your support as Marian helpers. You guys are part of this. When the Marians put God's love into action, the hands and the feet of Jesus, you're there. Now, you might be like me, just a sliver in the finger, but you're part of that body of Christ. Even if you're offering up the pain from that sliver. Father, I can't do anything. I can't make phone calls. I can't go out and bless people. I can't go out and preach the gospel. I'm sick. I'm quarantined. Absolutely. You can offer up that suffering united with us in prayer. So I want to finish by saying join us because this next two weeks is the biggest two weeks of the year and maybe the biggest two weeks of our lives. We never know when Christ is going to come again. So please join us um, from Monday through Friday on April 5th through April the 9th 
At 5.30 Eastern time, I will um, be hosting a show on EWTN called Understanding Divine Mercy. And we're going to explain for you everything you need to know to get these graces that Jesus promises, the grace for eternal life through Divine Mercy Sunday, this one day. So it airs every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, on April 5th through the 9th at 5.30 Eastern time. Please tune in if you can. It helps condense and show you what we need to do to receive this mercy of God and his extraordinary promise. Then we've been working tirelessly. Uh, Brother Mark has done an amazing job in finishing our studio here. Thank you for all of you who helped donate to increase our ability for our, our media outreach because your donations have now been realized in an incredible studio that we are now producing and giving out to the people modes of education of our faith. And you guys are the reason we're able to do that. So we are going to now, we're in the midst of filming for Divine Mercy Sunday. Please join us at noon Eastern time, from noon to 1.30, as we do a, an important pre-show. And we're going to tell you about a lot of stuff and how you fit into this as God brought you here to our, our evangelization and how you can be part of that, even if you can't leave your home. So join us at 12 o'clock. On, on Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, from 12 to 1.30 for the show, followed by 1.30 to 3 with the liturgy, which is um, uh, celebrated by Bishop Byrne from here in our diocese. And finally, what makes it so powerful, tune in, because we're going to walk you through how to receive these incredible graces. There's so much in the Word of God and our Protestant brothers and sisters recognize that. But what the beauty of your Catholic faith is, it takes this word and puts it into action. That is mercy. God bless you. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Dot org. Thank you, and God bless you.